Hey everybody, this is Brian Zimmerman. And this is Matt Mikucci. And you're listening to Jazz Is Crate Digging. Hey man, how you doing man? Hey Brian, I'm good and uh, I'm happy to be here, excited about this episode because I... I love music and I love books and poems and literature. Then that's right, Matt. This is the episode for you. And yes, welcome to everyone listening. Uh, this is another episode of Jazz's Crate Digging, the show where we, how did I put it last time, Matt? We dig through the crates of our memories. <laughs> you like, that sounds the good, The record right? store of our record minds. record store of our minds. Yeah, that yeah that's about <laughs> as uh, poetic as I get. Um, no, to bring you album recommendations on a given theme. It's a new theme uh, every week. And as you alluded to, Matt, this week's theme is jazz and literature. Uh, yeah. Literature in all its forms. Uh, poetry, uh, novels, historical, contemporary. Um, that's the vibe this week, Matt. And so we each picked five albums each, and we're going to play uh, some tunes from each album. And uh, we invite you to share, if you have any uh, recommendations for albums based on jazz and literature, please visit us on social media, uh, our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and let us know. Uh, but that's the theme for today's episode, jazz and literature, jazz and books in some form. And Matt, I can't wait to uh, dive into it. All right. Uh, my first pick for this episode is Neruda by uh, Brazilian singer-songwriter Luciana Souza. And throughout her career, Souza has often expressed a passion for poetry. She is a poet herself, and she's expressed her passion for poetry via a number of projects. And this is among the most, uh, the best ones, I think. It was released in 2004 in celebration of the great Chilean poet Pablo Neruda, and it was uh, really also released in uh, celebration of his 100th birthday. And for it, she chose... 10 of his poems translated into English and orchestrated for piano, voice and percussion uh, with uh, voice and piano recorded live and percussions overdubbed later. Uh, Aside from this being uh, Jazz Appreciation Month, by the way, Brian, uh, April, I think happens to also be poetry month i hope i'm right on this one and i could think of no better place to start than uh, this album celebrating the legacy of one of the most beloved poets of all time that's right you have chosen the track sonnet 99 let's go ahead and take a listen Indeed, National Poetry Month. 
as well as National Jazz Month, International Jazz Month. Uh, I don't know why T.S. Eliot referred to April as the cruelest month. Right, exactly. <laughs> with all this cool stuff. Maybe he meant the coolest month with yeah, all this I'd great stuff so. going on. <laughs> all right, I am going to stay on the poetry train uh, for my first pick. It comes from pianist Fred Hirsch. It's his album, Leaves of Grass. Okay, this was a beautiful album from 2005. Uh, it is, of course, a, a large ensemble interpretation of the poetry of Walt Whitman and his most enduring work, Leaves of Grass. Matt, the story goes on this one that Hirsch was on tour in France in the 1990s when he suddenly had this inexplicable but undeniable urge to get his hands on a copy of Leaves of Grass. He just wanted to read it right then and there. He rushed to the nearest bookstore, the nearest Parisian bookstore, bought it, um, and in that moment began conceiving the ideas um, that would become this recording. You know, as a poet, Whitman is known, you know, as the father of free verse, um, at least here in America, kind of liberating poetry from the traditional constraints of, of meter and rhyme. But with Hirsch's arrangements, uh, you know, he really kind of augments the musicality of Whitman's verse. He brought in, Hirsch did, brought in two vocalists to... Um, you know, intone these poems, one being the great jazz folk singer, Kate McGarry, um, and the other being Kurt Elling, you know, one of my favorite vocalists of the moment. Um, and it's Kurt that we're going to hear on my uh, selected track, and that would be Song of Myself, Part One, I Celebrate Myself. So here goes. I celebrate myself and sing myself I celebrate myself and sing myself And what I assume you shall assume For every atom belonging to me is good belongs to you And you shall possess the origin of all poems. You shall possess the good of the earth and sun. You shall no longer take things for second or third hand. I just love that, Matt. I really love the kind of joy and wisdom that uh, Hirsch is able to capture through those arrangements. So, so it's my turn, and uh, we I've, we've got another album by Duke Ellington, who appears to be a regular on this series. Let's As face he it, should be. yeah, <laughs> that's true. He is one of the greatest jazz artists of all time. And this album that I will be talking about was inspired by the works of William Shakespeare, who many consider to be the greatest playwright of all time. The album is from uh, 1957. It's called Such Sweet Thunder. And it is, in fact, a 12-part suite composed for his orchestra with movements inspired by different Shakespearean works from Macbeth to Julius Caesar to Romeo and Juliet and beyond. Sure, 
Some of these pieces were actually earlier compositions that were quote-unquote repackaged for this project, but it doesn't really matter. This is another great Ellington and Billy Strayhorn composition and collaboration, drawing influences from other art forms. We've seen him in previous episodes drawing from music that was composed from movies like Mary Poppins, and we've talked about him in the past as well. So this is another great one, and also it showcases the oral spectacle that was Ellington's orchestra. Great pick, Matt. Here is the title track, Such Sweet Thunder. swinging man oh my goodness by the way i forgot to mention that one composition that's the title composition such sweet thunder is inspired by uh othello and uh, definitely you can you can almost hear othello and desdemona kind of going out on the town <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly very hip cool pick matt um my next pick is a uh a likewise ambitious literary project. Uh, it is from the Canadian-born, British-based trumpeter Kenny Wheeler, who, in my opinion, is a, a vastly overlooked player. He kind of stylistically sat in the middle of the Venn diagram between, you know, straight-ahead players like Miles Davis and Freddie Hubbard, um, some of the cool jazz cats like Chet Baker. And then some of the more experimental players like Booker Little. Uh, he had a gorgeous sound, especially on flugelhorn. But anyway, in 1968, he had the opportunity to work with the John Dankworth Orchestra. Um, they were a very popular uh, big band in the UK. They could be heard on a lot of film scores and TV scores, that kind of thing. Um, and for this project, uh, Dankworth commissioned Kenny to, to write the music and it was pretty clear um, listening to it that, you know, Kenny was influenced by, you know, those great Gil Evans uh, and Miles Davis collaborations. Just that into, you know, they were doing a lot of this heavy conceptual stuff, uh, you know, sketches of Spain, those kind of albums. And yeah, that influence is pretty clear because Kenny decided to take up as his subject matter uh, the man of La Mancha himself, Don Quixote. Uh, so the name of this album is Windmill Tilter, and I love that. Uh, the writing is stellar. Uh, fans of, you know, 1960s, 1970s big band stuff, this is right up your alley. And check this out, Matt. It actually features a young Dave Holland on bass and a young John McLaughlin on guitar. Uh, so, yeah, pretty cool. We are going to take a listen to the track uh, Sancho, named, of course, for uh, Don Quixote's trustworthy sidekick. Here is Sancho from Windmill Tilter by Kenny Wheeler. <laughs> 
So this album uh, has been out of print for a while, uh, but was just reissued actually re- very recently on CD. Uh, yeah, cool project. One of the few jazz. Uh, actually, I take that back. There was another interpretation of Don Quixote by the vocalist uh, Eliana Elias. Um, she uh, recorded an album called Man of La Mancha as well. Also takes up Don Quixote as its subject matter. All right, moving on. So my third pick is actually one by... Okay, so we recently heard Iggy Pop on Do- Dr. Lonnie Smith's new album. But that was, of course, not the first time the godfather of punk rock himself has shown love and appreciation for jazz. Uh, for example, his 15th studio album, Preliminaire, uh, draws heavily on jazz. And at times, Iggy himself sounds, to me at least, like Serge Gainsbourg. So, okay, so Preliminaire was released in 2009. And it also happens to have been inspired by Michel Houellebecq's uh, novel, The Possibility of an Island, which is set in a post-apocalyptic future. I actually haven't read the original novel, uh, but what I can say is that this album alone appears to really represent Iggy Pop's eclectic nature with its wide range of styles and influences. He's often drawn from, been inspired by literature and again other artworks as well. This album is of course no exception and it's really one of the most oddly fascinating records in his fable discography. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a listen to the track you selected. Here is King of the Dogs. Iggy. Uh, I love all of his eccentricities and I'm so glad he was able to find safe harbor for those eccentricities in my hometown of Miami, Florida. I call (laughs) him a neighbor proudly. Uh, Cool, Matt. We'll move on to my next pick. And uh, for my next pick, I, I picked something brand new. I'm talking as of last month, brand new. Um, it is a collaboration between vocalist Stacy Kent and her husband, Jim Tomlinson, and the British-Japanese author and Nobel laureate, mind you, Kazuo Ishiguro, um, who wrote the lyrics to this song. Anyone kind of paying attention to uh, Stacy Kent's career knows that this pairing uh, between Stacy Ken and Kazuo Ishiguro is not new. Kazuo has been writing lyrics for Kent since about the mid 2000s. It actually all started, I've got another funny story for this one too. It started in 2002 when she was listening to a BBC radio interview with Ishiguro 
whom she considered one of her favorite authors. And in this interview, the interviewer asked Ishiguro, hey, so what are some of your uh, Desert Island discs, you know, your favorite albums of all time? Because Ishiguro is a very famous lover of music. Um, and he mentioned Stacy Kent's recording of They Can't Take That Away From Me, the Gershwin classic. Um, they were able to get in touch after that. And this kicked off a 20-year friendship in which Ishiguro would occasionally write lyrics for Stacey Kent's songs and to this day is resulting in some some great music. Um, by the way, I should mention, you know, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, you know, for the, the remains of the day, um, a just absolutely fantastic writer. Um, anyway, during uh, lockdowns, the lockdowns of 2020, Kent got this idea to release uh, some of these collaborations with Ishiguro as singles. And the one that she got the most request for was the tune, I Wish I Could Go Traveling Again, uh, for obvious reasons. It's a, it's a beautiful tune, and Ishiguro has said that uh, writing lyrics, songwriting, which forces you to compress a lot of meaning into a very small space, has really helped with his novel writing. And actually, he has a new novel out right now. Uh, called Clara and the Sun. Uh, but anyways, yes, my pick is the single that came out not too long ago, I Wish I Could Go Traveling Again. And, you know, as we're all kind of at the tail end, so we hope, of being cooped up in our homes, uh, this has kind of become my anthem. Uh, so let's take a listen. Here's the track, I Wish I Could Go Traveling Again. go traveling again it feels like this summer will never end and I've had such good offers from several of my friends I wish I could go traveling get some bonus film points in there, Matt, uh, because uh, Ishiguro's uh, 2005 novel, Never Let Me Go, was turned into a film adaptation in 2010. So, Wow. Bonus points. <laughs> bonus points. All right. Okay. So let me see if I can get some bonus points going on here, too. <laughs> I could not pay tribute to the link between the beatniks and jazz, of course. Uh, the former would probably not have happened without the latter let's face it and uh, one of the most famous writers showcasing that romantic or romanticized even link between jazz and uh, 40s and 50s American literature is Jack Kerouac whose novel On the Road is just the quintessential uh, beat generation novel and mentions many records many jazz records including Red Norvo's Congo Blues uh, featuring solos by Dizzy Gillespie actually he recorded many versions of this uh, particular uh, song particular composition of his throughout his career the one I'm referring to is from 1947 it was credited to Red Norvo and his selected sextet so 
it's not often that we talk about uh, that I that I choose a 45 or actually in this case it might have been a 70 78 uh, I'm not sure I'd have to double check that but in any case uh, just Red Norva was of course one of the first acclaimed jazz vibraphonists and this particular composition uh, this particular recording came uh, was done for Dial Records and one memorable point in On the Road is smashed by a girl on Dean Moriarty's head <laughs> so one of the really memorable moments in the book and so that's why I, I could have picked so many other records, but I just went with this one because of that and because it's just an awesome tune. Right on, daddy Let's give it a spin. Here we go. Here's Congo Blues. undertone I feel like like an angel-headed hipster as Allen Ginsberg would say right uh, <laughs> and of course you can recognize Charlie Parker too on sax <laughs> Absolutely. forgot to mention <laughs> nice pick Matt okay we're gonna move on to my I think we have two why well, yes I have two more so we'll move on to my penultimate I'm feeling very literary I get to use words like penultimate um, yeah <laughs> Uh, my penultimate album, and that would be from uh, Chicago-based vocalist Katie Ernst. Uh, the name of the album is Little Words. So this album is from 2015. It is a song cycle based on the poetry of Dorothy Parker, the bard of the Algonquin Roundtable. Um, if you're not familiar with Dorothy Parker's poetry, she was really known for her kind of satirical lens and her urbanity, you know, she published a lot in the New Yorker, was raised on the Upper West Side. Um, but she had this unrelenting clarity on the uh, social issues and the social injustices of her time. She was an outspoken critic of systems of oppression throughout her life um, and was actually called before the House Un-American Committee uh, for writings that were, you know, considered socialist and, and anarchist. Um, she's best known, perhaps, for her 1926 collection, Enough Rope, um, you know, as well as just, you know, being in the company of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and that lost generation crowd. Ernst, meanwhile, is a is a just a beautiful vocalist who has a way of making Parker's lyrics feel immediate and topical and of this moment. 
Uh, it was a really cool project and featured a lot of noteworthy Chicago players. I'm going to play the track uh, But Not Forgotten, which is one of the groovier tunes on this album. It's got some awesome electric piano vamps in there. And again, Katie Ernst as a vocalist is just stellar. So let's take a listen to the track But Not Forgotten. some uh, top-notch Chicago players. We've got Dustin Lorenzi on tenor sax, Andrew Green on drums, and Samora Pinderhughes on piano and keyboards. Great stuff. Okay, so it's my turn and it's my final pick. Um, This one was released in 2019 and it's a collaboration between, uh, you know, the great bassist Ron Carter and acclaimed poet Danny Simmons. The album is titled the Brown Beatnik Tomes live at Brick House. And it documents a night of jazz and poetry that had taken place in Brooklyn, I think in 2018. Uh, and throughout the album, the music really feels both uh, perfectly composed for every poem, but it's also completely in the moment. Uh, and aside from Carter and Simmons, uh, you know, their duo performances, there are instrumentals and guests. And also, I should mention that there's a very uh, cool tribute to the author. Amiri Baraka and an instrumental tribute to Oscar Peterson too so I mean it's just it's just amazing it's really just a celebration of this link between jazz and poetry that has really always existed but as it suggests and this was really interesting when it first came out I found it very interesting and it almost uh, it represents a desire to reevaluate the historiography of that beatnik generation that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Kerouac because in the words of Simmons this was a time that was uh, largely about the Negro experience, but didn't have the Negro in it. These are his words, and you can kind of agree with that. We often talk about poets who were white, essentially. But uh, Simmons has also done a lot to reevaluate those times and actually talk about some of the black writers that aren't talked about as much and that definitely deserve to be rediscovered. So back to the album. This is a great poetry and jazz album. Perfect uh, album to end my crate digging list for today. That's right. And you have chosen the track, The Final Stand of Two Dick Willie. So here we go. Final Stand of Two Dick Willie. The toxic Negro crawl injured sputtered fumes. And doomed Dizzy's blues limping bongo wishes. 
Two Dick Willie took a hard stand against the middle passage fare increase. An impossible puzzle lick block graduation gown rental fee. I hear they return from the safari with bags of people pelts. Brown, red, black, yellow, and even those higher tone hues. They were rolled, roped, and bitter bartered, and worn as bigger nigga high top sneakers. I'm here for you, Willie, to tell the tale of your last dance, marching kazoo bands play a sacrifice. Blow that horn, Willie, and bury them in tears and clear, cool moonshine. Blow it for my man, bright baby tooth Earl. Yeah, that tone of Ron Carter is just unmistakable. I love it. All right, Matt. Uh, so my final pick, I always do this to you. Mm. I always throw you a little curveball at the end. And this one, <laughs> admittedly, is a bit of a stretch. But my final album comes from the one, the only Cannonball Adderley. It's from 1964. And it is called Cannonball Adderley's Fiddler on the Roof. Now, I know what you're thinking, Matt. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof? Wait, isn't that a musical? Isn't that a 1964 stage musical? You're right. Yes, you're right. You might also be thinking, Brian, isn't that a 1971 movie? Uh, and you, you're right in that regard too, Matt. But we got to remember that these stories were based, or these, these productions were based on the stories by Russian Jewish Yiddish writer Sholem Alechem, who wrote Tevya and the Dairyman stories in 1894. So they qualify. In my book, they absolutely qualify, Matt. Um, <laughs> and this is a cool project. This came out in 1964, so right around the time that uh, the musical was uh, going to, it was hitting theaters. And Cannonball was just so struck by the music in this production that he decided to record a jazz version, um, you know, with his brother Nat and Joe Zavinal on keyboards, you know, his usual um, ensemble. But for me, this just speaks to the universality of not only the musical, not only the movie, but these original short stories about Tevye the Dairyman and his four or five daughters um, written by Sholem Alechem uh, at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, I've got another funny story about this one. You know, in 1968, the decision was made to stage Fiddler on the Roof in Japan. Um, and back then, the concern was, this is such a Jewish-American story how could it ever appeal to audiences in Japan? Well, the show became a hit to the extent that it at Tokyo's Nisei Theater, it is the most popular American musical there of all time. It's just celebrated its 50-something anniversary. Um, and later companies have even said in Japan, Fiddler on the Roof, this story feels so Japanese, how could it have ever been popular in America? Um, so this is a beloved musical and like all great literature it has a universal theme I have selected uh, the track Cannonball calls the track Fiddler on the Roof fans of the musical and of the movie know it as tradition you know this this song is marked by a lot of counterpoint in that the various you know groups of the family the mamas the papas the 
sons and daughters all sing their parts simultaneously. But I love what Cannonball did with the arrangement and how he added some new counterpoint, kind of displaced the rhythm a little bit too. So let's listen to my final pick. Here is Fiddler on the Roof by Cannonball Adderley. I got to go back and revisit that, that thing one. swings. I mean, yeah. And that's Cannibal. That's Nat Adderley, like I mentioned. Charles Lloyd is on this album, Matt. Wow. Uh, Joe Zavinal, Sam Jones, Lewis Hayes. Adderley's arrangements are great, but let's uh, give it up, of course, to the original writers of the music from Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick. So that is my list, Matt. That's our list. Wow. That's everything. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, very cool. I have to dig back into some of those albums, some of those books, some of those works of poetry that we, that we mentioned. Um, and yeah, like we said, uh, listeners, if you have any recommendations for kind of jazz meets literature albums, feel free to let us know on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, on Instagram. And in the meantime, be sure to head on over to our website, jazzes.com. We've got a bunch of great content there, including our April digital issue, which is out right now, features a a Q&A with Mindy Abair, saxophonist Mindy Abair, who just released a best of album, kind of a career spanning best of album. We also talked to Stacey Kent uh, about this new collaboration or this ongoing collaboration with Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, We talked to Mark Winkler and David Benoit. It is an action-packed issue, as they say, and it is uh, on our site right now, jazzes.com. That's also where you can sign up for our Vinyl Club. This is a cool uh, membership-only club wherein you will receive everything that comes with our legacy subscription. So you get the four quarterly print issues, you get the unlimited digital access, and you get the eight collector-quality CDs. And on top of that, we'll send you four quarterly vinyl albums curated by uh, yours truly. Uh, so to do that, head on over to jazzes.com and click the Join Vinyl Club Now banner at the top of the page. You'll be well on your way. All right, Matt. That does it for this episode, man. It's been fun. It has been fun. We'll see you next week for another edition of Crate Digging. Thanks for listening, everyone. So long. Bye-bye.